Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore the strange worlds of Fringeworthy, the only interdimensional role-playing game where you go to alternate Earths, other times, places, ancient gods, pirates, and dinosaurs. (laughs) I mention all that because... We are talking about Fringeworthy in other people's campaigns. In other words, other campaigns that are out there, other game systems. Uh, we've talked an awful lot many times about uh, playing uh, various genres inside of Fringeworthy, where you could still play a sword and sorcery, you could play a science fiction, you could play horror, and these are all on different worlds that are all connected by the Fringe Pass. If you want to spice up your game, you can add Fringeworthy to it. And we really didn't give you much details on that. What we thought we would do this time is we talk about what Fringeworthy brings to your campaign, uh, what it can do for you, and then talk specifically about how we think it might fit into some of the more popular uh, published campaigns. Not systems per se, but campaigns like Call Cthulhu or Rifts. We're not talking about the game system. That's something you're going to have to handle, but the actual campaign itself and the, the tone. The first thing that I'd like to mention is that every game has its own tone. The uh, horror game is not the same as a science fiction game. It's not the same thing as a cyberpunk dark fantasy. So it's important that if you do bring Fringeworthy into your game, you make sure that it doesn't undermine that sense of of tone and atmosphere that you created. Because I know that uh, the way that we talk about Fringeworthy, and certainly the way I run it in my campaign, it's kind of a modern Indiana Jones kind of thing where you can almost cue the da-da-da, da-da-da as they're going out on the fringe pass and they're going through and they're seeing the wide vistas with ancient artifacts and great soaring alien technologies. It doesn't have to be that way, but that's kind of the default feeling and tone that I notice that people have whenever they play this game. That may not fit with your campaign. That may not be the kind of thing that you're trying to bring. If you do bring Fringeworthy into your game, you have to be very careful that you don't contaminate you know, that, that you, you make sure that Fringeworthy changes to be what you want it to be, that you, you, know, you represent the, the IDET team or how it's, it, it interacts with your campaign in a way that, that makes it work. Like you're saying, maintaining the, the feel and the mood. In your game, Bruce, a Meller would be one way. If you were bringing Fringeworthy into Call of Cthulhu, Mellers would be run a lot differently. Now, not that they would be any less mean. Imagine how scary and spooky and creepy Mellers would be if you gave them the Cthulhu feel. Yeah, I always thought them to be much like the Deep Ones. Right. That's what I'm saying. 
That's why I use that because they would fit into a Cthulhu campaign quite well. As opposed to like a high adventure type of campaign, they would bring about a whole different feel between the two different styles of game. It's a game uh, convention. You're really not changing the the character. You're not changing literally the the abilities of the creatures involved. You're simply changing its representation, how you know you want them to behave. In Fringeworthy, you may talk about how they blend in and stuff like that. In, in Call of Cthulhu, you probably uh, would want to say, yes, they blend in, but then their heads turn in a natural fashion, like all of the people who lived in Innsmouth with their fish-like aspects. You'd want to give some of these creatures an alienness, because that's what Call of Cthulhu is about, is, is, is recognizing the alienness and, and having to deal with that aspect. It's so important that it causes you to lose sanity. So you want to make sure that any uh, alien creature that you bring in is, is going to sooner or later reveal that aspect. Don't the Melor sort of change to fit their environment? Like if they're in an aquatic environment, they would take on ichthyoid features anyways? Only if they touched something and took the shape of something that had those already. But see, that's the thing. Okay, you know, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason why a Meller couldn't touch somebody who is from Innsmouth and suddenly look like somebody who's, uh, or when I say touch, okay, there's so many different kinds. Uh, eat somebody from Innsmouth, become one of those weird half-fish people. Okay. Sure. And thinking that they're just like everybody else. And then they go walking down the road and they find themselves in another town and everyone's looking at them funny and they realize, wait a second. Funny is one way. Screaming and running is a, you know, what might be more appropriate. Well, the people of Innsmouth were supposed to look odd, but they weren't supposed to be like, you know, really bad. Unless the ones that were really bad were the ones that were kept in the upper rooms. But yeah, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll, we'll get the Cthulhu. Right. So what I want to talk about is some of the things that fringeworthy can bring to your campaign. One of the things that if you have an IDET team come into your campaign, what they can do for your general group of people that you, you know, your adventuring party, your investigators, your assault team, whatever game that you're playing, the core group of individuals that you have, what do they bring? What can they bring? I'm going to just speak in generalities because, of course, different games are at different power levels. There are different technology levels. So I'm just going to speak in generalities. But one of the things that they could do is, is they could provide maps to uncharted locations. Uh, because if this world is the same in geography, then they've got all kinds of high-altitude maps that, that were taken of Earth that they are, have downloaded into their computers. They could also provide drones and, and even satellite mapping tools that could then map locations that the current campaign players are interested in exploring to give them information that they otherwise wouldn't have. So if it's a far future, apocalyptic future or whatever, they could bring lost technology or lost information, lost knowledge. If you're playing like a Morrow Project type of game or any kind of after the cataclysm type of game, you could have something like the movie Book of Eli – they can bring in information that have been completely lost forever. That's one thing that you can do. You can, you can add in stuff that, that is missing from the world. If that's what is necessary to, to take the next step in your campaign, uh, that's great. That, that's, that's just what they, you should do. They also can provide a lot of high-tech solutions. For example, uh, language translators. Even though the Fringe portal provides the ability for the explorers to be able to speak the language of the people on the other side – 
And in certain circumstances, that could allow them actually to be speaking the language of an area you wanted to go into and didn't know the language yourself. If the portal is on an island, an uncharted island that you want to explore that's filled with natives, and you arrive there and find the fringeworthy there, well, they're going to be speaking the language of the natives. They're not going to be speaking you know, English or French or whatever your group is, but they probably have somebody on their team who can speak English or French, so they can provide a translation between you and the natives. Also, since they are from a high-tech world, there's a lot of natural language translators that are available to IDET where you speak into it with a very high-speed processor and spits out that, uh, uh, that phrase in another language. So they could provide your group with whatever language they need, even provide some learning tools that could learn a new language, and then you could have this translator available to all your team members, even team members who didn't speak that language themselves. So, but it could definitely help keep misunderstandings from occurring through these kinds of technologies that are available through, uh, through IDET. So they're fairly common. Another possibility, of course, is better weaponry. You're in a medieval fantasy, they've got weapons. They've got all kinds of weapons. You've got fireballs, they've got bazookas. You've got fire arrows, they've got incendiary tracer rounds. And they can fire them a thousand rounds a minute. They can take the group and increase their weapons and provide them with a reliable source of that weapon and repair for that weapon. They can provide improved surveillance either through devices or other things. For example, infrared, short-range radar, echolocation, those are all very good against invisible creatures or camouflage creatures. If you're in a game where you don't have any of that technology and you've got invisible creatures running around, you have a more parity as a result of the fringeworthy team being there. So you're running Dungeons and Dragons, although this doesn't generally happen in any campaign I've ever seen, but maybe something like Pendragon or something where... You're actually playing up the plague. You're using it as a, as a device for the for the you know moving adventures along. We introduce Fringeworthy, and they bring the cure for the plague. And then you know your heroes can can capitalize on that. Maybe use it to gain influence. Hopefully not for nefarious reasons, but you could then get an ambassador type ship with the Fringeworthy because you've you brought something that that healed the whole town. It could be very interesting gameplay. That way you can say, hey, these people are from another place, and we would like to help them. And, of course, they're going to be like, well, you know, they removed the plague. They must have been sent by God to help us. And then they'd be very likely to work with them. And then your heroes could um, be free to move and move about with them with the support of the king working as the ambassador to that land. So they could provide antibiotics against uh current or even ancient plagues. If you talk about games where you're doing right. exploration of old tombs or as the world is recovering from some long lost thing and you decide to break into some installation or uh, something else and you release something that, that you have no technology against, you have no, no cure for. Well, maybe the Fringeworthy have run into it on some other world and they've got a cure for it. It provides you with a rationale for right. creating the MacGuffin that you need in order to solve an intractable problem. And not only that, but if you're going to bring Fringeworthy into the world, you have to think about the impact that you're going to have on the world with bringing that in and how that's going to create an action between the people of this world and that world. And if you play it smart and you do it properly, you can do it such that the world that your characters are in now, they want to interact with the Fringeworthy in a positive manner. You know, most of the games that we've played, because we've played from the Fringeworthy standpoint, 
you know, where we go is generally the adversary and we got to overcome that. But if you're coming at it from a different angle, then probably want to take it from the opposite aspect so that the, the whole French where the, um, interaction isn't a negative thing it's a positive thing it's all this stuff that you encounter on the french path that becomes the negative stuff it could be about either a positive or a negative it's up to the gm to decide how he wants to introduce the fringe worthy into the game and i i, I want to get to that but i wanted to first finish up talking about some of the things that the the fringe worthy do provide for a campaign as far as um, things to help the group your assets to the group that otherwise might not be there so um, sure. uh, another thing is better communications. They've got you know radio comm units. They've got noise filters that if you actually do have things like walkie-talkies or uh, various communicators. I don't know if you've ever listened to old-time radio broadcasts, but they're very, very poor. And some of the things that have come out uh, in the last 50 years are digital filters, comb filters, things like that, that can take a, a very poor, noisy signal and extract out almost a perfect signal as a result of some of the computer analysis that can be done today on signals in real time allows you to really improve that kind of thing. Parabolic microphones are another good thing. Things that you can hear thousands of feet away People in a lesser technological culture, they would just be blown away by that. The fact that they see this person on a hill so far away and they can hear them perfectly. So that improves surveillance would come into play. You can provide all kinds of things to improve the communication, defeat attempts at secrecy. It doesn't even have to be high technology because a parabolic microphone can be also used to funnel down to just as a hearing device, a a purely mechanical hearing device where you just take a a parabolic dish and you sit yourself in front of it to focus and everybody who's around you, now you can hear them perfectly because it's all reflecting back at you. You can build buildings that way to, uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it's in... I can't remember which building it is, but there actually is a building where there was a natural reflection like this. And this one guy who was a uh, political guy, he would stand in one spot and he'd always make sure that his aides would put, would move the, his opponents over to the other spot where he could hear everything that they were saying. And nobody around them could hear anything at all because of that perfect reflection, because it was a parabolic bouncing reflection down to his other location. So you can use modern knowledge of audiology and, uh, and mathematics and things that really aren't technological. They're just applications of, of the science that exists in their own time. The ancient Romans could have made gunpowder weapons. They just didn't do it. It doesn't take much for a fringeworthy to explain to you how to do it. And wham, you've got firearms in your uh, sword and sorcery game, if you want that, of course. But even if you don't, I mean, they could tell you how to forge titanium. And so now you've got weapons that are super strong and super light. You don't actually have to introduce something that is that, that breaks genre. Just some of the techniques that a high-technology culture has would be able to say, hey, if you do this and this, you could create these things using the technologies you have available and still keep within the genre that you're playing. Maybe adamantine is titanium. Another op- option is pattern matching on old maps versus topographical maps. So if you did have topographical maps of an area, of a large area, and they said, well, here, we've got this map, and it says this mountain on it, and there's a lake on it, and there's sore between here, you could run a, a fuzzy search through a, a computer program, and you might actually be able to find locations in their area that would be a fair percent uh, chance of being the correct ones and get them heading in the right direction. 
Uh, would iJet have the ability, let's say they bring it along on a trailer, to launch a communication satellite and get computerized topographical maps? And let's say you're in a fantasy culture, and they have these very hand-drawn maps, and they're basically of what you've traveled via land. Well, all of a sudden, you're handing these people these maps. Well, this is the same area, and it's a very ornate, defined map. Could you somehow launch a commsat into the air just with the stuff you bring as part of your IDET load and do that for a lesser technological culture? You could. You could certainly launch a drone, a high-altitude drone that could take pictures from a very high altitude, and then there's software that will convert those pictures, okay. three-dimensional three pictures using multiple cameras, into an actual topographical map. Okay. All right. All right. If there is a portal in the location where your group is exploring or running your operation, they can also bring through all kinds of support materials, food, camping supplies, excavation materials, even excavation vehicles, plows, and all kinds of things like that if there's a portal right there where you want to actually do your exploration. If there actually are some people who are fringeworthy, then the fringe paths can provide a bug-out location that they may not realize was there. Depending upon where in the Fringeworthy timeline you decide to include uh, the Fringeworthy incursion into this world, uh, it could actually be before they've turned on the Fringeworthy filter. Therefore, anybody on that world would be able to go into the Fringe Pass. So it could be provide an excellent bug-out location if you're in the middle of something bad going on. You know, the, the nuclear bomb's about to go off and you're racing out of there. Well, run on the Fringe Path. It's not going to go through the Fringe Portal. You'll be fine there. If it's even earlier in the Fringeworthy timeline, you could be on a world where the node building equipment has just finished that node and turned on the, all the portals and wham, all of a sudden you've got a portal next to you or in the area that never was there before. It's not even an issue of whether you're Fringeworthy or not. Suddenly there's a portal there that never was. Now you're stepping outside of most of what we cover on the podcast and, and what's in the book. So I would only suggest people do that if they either are really experienced gamers and are very comfortable with changing stuff around and, and have taken some time to think about this, or if they've been playing Fringeworthy for a very long time and they're very comfortable with everything and, and they already have an idea where they know they're going to go with all this. Another option, hazardous creature removal to empty worlds. So you got some creature that nobody can kill because it regenerates too fast. Not Godzilla. He's too big to go through a portal. But <laughs> something smaller, maybe. You can take it, freeze it. They can drag it through the portal, find some empty world, dump it off. It's out of your world. They lock down the portal <laughs> on the fringe bench. They say, nobody go here. It lives out uh, its life or never dies on that world all by itself. It doesn't have anybody to threaten anymore. Bruce, have you ever heard the term invasive species? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could underwrite your campaign. You've got a group of people and they're doing something. They need money. Well, IDET can provide that kind of support. If you give them something in return that they want, they're perfectly willing to provide you with gold and whatever precious gems or platinum that you want. Underwrite what you're trying to do. I know that that's always been a problem in a lot of investigative or uh, adventuring type stories where you run around killing monsters and taking their treasure because otherwise, how do you support yourself? Well, a group like IDET could say, hey, we would like you to explore this world for us and we'll pay you to do so. Here's your first payment. 
and they could also provide all that great equipment that you might like to have. Let's say you're in a fantasy campaign and here comes an IDA team. They may not give weapons right away. They might realize, hmm, okay, these people are not ready for the concept of firearms, but we can give them gold bars or some type of precious metal to fund their adventures so they can better equip themselves with indigenous equipment. Correct. Okay, all right. What's interesting about that is what they can provide IDET doesn't have to be anything that you would normally consider some kind of super boon or anything. It could simply be a safe place to go in that world. You know, they provide them with shelter, a non-hostile environment, a hospitality of, of, of whatever kind, information. And then IDET would be more than happy to compensate them for that because sometimes those are things that money can't buy. And then they can feel free to travel about the country and collect information and, and do their surveys and stuff, knowing they've always got a, you know, a safe home port. Yeah, we spent a billion dollars to build a base in a foreign country. You know, how much would we, we, would we be willing to spend to build a safe, secure location some distance down the fringe pass so we have a good, good bolt hole to go to someplace that we could use for training, any number of things? And don't underestimate the value of, of a lot of those local products. The Hatsumi Base, it's really unable to get supplies for about six months out of the year because of the weather. So being able to bring all those fresh fruits and vegetables and meats and just common foodstuffs back to Hatsumi Base would be great to have and well worth uh, paying a fair price for it. I didn't even think of that. As a waypoint, it'd be invaluable. Imagine this portal is is eight platforms out and you want to go to one that's 12 platforms out having a safe place to go and get food restock on food and water it'd be invaluable i mean it, w- it would literally be worth its weight in gold i think a lot of people uh, get creeped out sleeping on the fringe pass because it's so quiet you, they know that they don't have any technology working and you never know where the pirates are going to come You don't know fringe weather is going to come through and it's going to be a memory storm and drive everybody half crazy or everything's going to get – go electrical and and, and Van de Graaff generator head – hair is going to be going everywhere and rains of frogs. I mean (laughs) being on the fringe path can be a kind of disquieting experience. Even if you are inside of a uh, armored vehicle. So being able to drive off the French Pass into a world where conditions are predictable and just to be able to stay there for the night, that's sweet. Hell, I, I was just thinking about food and water. You go out all that distance and you're like, well, i got to go another 200 miles. Being able to restock on food and water, is, that would be an amazing advantage. If someone got hurt bad, producing enough light to do surgery on the French Pass is really hard. Being able to go off the French pass, crank up your generators, get your lights going, be able to do the proper kind of uh, surgical work, sterilizing instruments. The ability to have an autoclave or whatever so you can have clean surgical instruments, yeah, that's something that you would need. So that way station is a fantastic uh, time and energy and money and resource saver. So I agree. It makes a lot of sense to go to worlds and just try to make contact, friendly contact with a native village or a small group of people and explain as much as you can, maybe not explain everything, but just get a little bit of information. And then you could turn around and provide them in that world whatever they need, whatever they want, whatever they're capable of absorbing, as long as it doesn't disrupt them. Looking at it from the other side, from your campaign, that's something that they could do. 
you mentioned earlier about they could provide things that have gone missing. Well, you know, if you have a legendary ob uh, objects in your world, it's not to say that there isn't an, another one like it on an alternate. You say, I've got Excalibur, and, so, and they say, well, how about two? Did you say, how about two? Yeah, how about two Excaliburs? Because you just borrowed the Excalibur from King Arthur in an alternate and brought it back over to this world. So now we have two Excaliburs on this world. Oh, my God. I don't know if you want to do that. Well, <laughs> Can I, I, the I, politics I, involved? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But what do you mean you have a holy grail, too? Yeah. <laughs> this is the one true grail. Well, it is the one true grail on your world. <laughs> and, and so is this one. Yeah, and so is this one. Yeah, it's the it's the one true grail too. T O O. Oh gee. <laughs> okay, well that's not that sounds disruptive, but yeah, I mean if you and if you needed to provide a counterfeit, then again that high technology could provide a counterfeit for things. Uh, but yeah, I mean you because you uh, a fringeworthy person has access to a, a innumerable other alternate worlds. Some of them will be known, quite a few of them will be known, depending upon where you set it in the Fringeworthy uh, timeline. So a lot of objects that you would think were unique might actually not be so unique after all. If they're especially useful, then this is something that you might want to gift, you know, because they may not be using it on this other world. You could provide a basis for introducing a synergy between the local technological uh, basis or magic and an outwardly tech. So, for example, some people right now are all excited about Cthulhu tech, which is a, a combination of kind of steampunk and Cthulhu uh, or high tech and Cthulhu. Here's a way of bringing those pieces together where you say, well, how would anybody ever put these two together? Well, you take people who come from one technological point of view, you interface them with another group that is highly divergent yet still has a very effective knowledge base, you might come up with some amazing synergies that otherwise you wouldn't be able to justify. Right? Uh, yeah. Um, in the campaign I run, it's regular Earth and a fantasy equivalent. Now, the fantasy equivalent, magic works normally as per the D&D rules. But if, you know, fantasy stuff leaks over to the normal Earth, well, when people see that, they get sucked to the fantasy Earth, and Earth sort of writes them out so they never existed to keep the mundane mundane. Well, you've got people with, like, computer science and engineering, and then they find out that they can duplicate technological effects with magic. Yeah, techno magic can end up making like, you know, do things like, oh, I mean, to go on a tangent, techno magic firearms and robots and vehicles. And yeah, I could see where you're going with this, Bruce. It could, you could end up making some powerful stuff when combining technology and magic, depending on the magic of the specific campaign. Now, Cthulhu tech, not everybody's going to want to use that, but <laughs> there might be some who are willing to sacrifice a bit of their humanity to have, you know, power to beat a certain type of enemy. It, as I said, it depends on the setting and what type of magic you have in that other setting. For things like steampunk technology, that, that comes out working out great because, you know, you got the Victorian world. Some of that stuff would transfer over to them. Yeah, this has to be a world in which you want that to happen. You know, this is exactly the situation we were talking about where bringing in Fringeworthy could actually be disruptive to your campaign. So we, you don't want that this to get out of control. This is if you want to bring something in, here's a source for it. Uh, or if you want to justify a sudden change in your campaign, Fringe Warrior can be an easy justification for that.
My last thing was you could provide a tactical advantage by allowing a strike force to appear deep in enemy territory. You know, let's say that you're on a prime and you go talking to somebody and they says, oh, yeah, so-and-so, you know, they've got this big citadel and it's a big problem. But we can't get there because they've got an entire army between us and that. And you happen to know that you have a portal that's deep inside their country that's on the other side of that army. The fringe warrior can be that strike force to go in there and take down the shield generator so that you know Luke and uh, uh, Lando can go flying in and take out the Death Star. Well, yeah, okay. I can see that. That gets a little tricky, I mean, ethical-wise, but, but sure, so long as, you're, you know, so long as your ethics are in place. Yeah, well, everyone knows that the uh, the emperor is evil. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm I'm just saying that that if you're using fringeworthy and you're using iDead, yes, they do get involved. They don't have a prime directive, but they do have a moral compass. It would have to be like, yeah, this is the empire, and this is the kind of stuff that they do. iDead might say, okay, yeah, we'll be involved. We're peace-loving natives who are only just trying to fight off these alien invaders that are coming in. Won't you please help us before they annihilate us through genocide? Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the answer would be, what, again? (laughs) Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, we haven't heard that before. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that was my list of the specific things that IDEC could provide to uh, a local campaign. Did you have any other ideas that you thought that IDEC could provide? Medieval worlds are easy to go to because it's easy to use them for improvement. Um, but it could be any ancient world where uh, IDET shows up and they bring them better forging techniques so they can make better materials, so they can build better structures and longer bridges and can bring better agricultural techniques so they can feed their people better and, and of course, medicines and, and, and that whole gambit of things. But they could also reintroduce medicines that were lost post-apocalyptic type worlds because if you have a post-apocalyptic world where everything has collapsed and there is no more you know there's no more government or or any type of medical association or anything like that you know people are pretty much surviving on their own and they they can't go to the doctor the doctor is some guy in town who happens to know more about medicine than the guy next to him so idet shows up and they can provide you know medical help that has essentially been lost due to all of the the craziness have a, a society in which there's an essential piece that is becoming scarce, uh, without which their their whole you know culture is going to collapse. Uh, they they've run out of fuses, uh, whatever. I mean, uh, or they can make what they need, except they need pure reagents, and they don't have pure reagents anymore, uh, and they're not able to produce more from the existing materials around. Well, IDEC comes in and brings them some basic chemical feedstocks, and all of a sudden they can maintain their culture for another 10, 20 years, maybe long enough for them to pick up the pieces right. enough to get up to speed and, and, and carry it on. Just just imagine if you, you were to take you know your group of players – and you were to ask them, well, how would you start a farm? And, and you tell them they cannot look on the internet and they cannot go to the library. Yeah. Right? And then ask them how they would answer that question. And that's what people after a Holocaust are facing. They don't have libraries or the internet or any kind of information to go to. They have what is in their brains. And generally it's less than that because if you're playing a game based in that time period, you're generally playing the children of the people – who knew something about that stuff and they've passed on what they can pass on, but it's always going to be less than what they had themselves. So where IDET would come in 
they could enrich the lives of the people around them because they bring all this information that they have in books and on their computers and, and such. Okay, Carol, now you take these notes and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for best gaming podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey, now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and news shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But, but no, no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. So there's Fringeworthy, and the Fringeworthy, they bring a lot of stuff with them. They can do a lot of things. So how would you meet the Fringeworthy? The Fringeworthy could be just some group of people you run across, and they just provide a nice little interesting flavor where you see this you know, really bizarre group of people that are riding along on these ring-type objects that they're sitting on. It's like a, a wheelbarrow, but it only has two wheels on it. What is that? And they just seem to be traveling on very well. They're riding on bicycles. You're riding on horses or you're walking and, and you've never seen a bicycle before. So they, they can provide a kind of an outray kind of thing. They, you could just see them walking along one time and they just say, hi, how you do? And ask you some questions. You ask those questions. They might give you some information about the lay of the land around them because where they've you're going where they've already been. And that's all there is to it. Bang, they're gone. I mean, you know, they, you, they show up from time to time. You see them again, but you never have any real interaction. They just provide a kind of a mystery, kind of uh, an interesting spicy thing that you just throw in your game. That's one thing you could do. Another thing you could do is they could be aiding your enemies. Friendsworthy, they try to make friends with the people that they go, that are around the portal. Maybe they're the wrong people. They'd say, well, yeah, this group over there, we've got a war going on with them, and they're the aggressors, when in fact is the group that the IDET team allies themselves with, maybe the, the, the aggressors themselves. Or it's just one of those things where both sides have such long-standing hatreds that it doesn't matter which side you pick, the other side would be the enemy. So here you are, you're going around, and you're striking deep into the enemy's land, and you find this group of strange aliens who are supplying unfair advantage to your enemy. Well, okay, so now now it's on, like Donkey Kong, right? <laughs> so the IDET team can provide a foil. When it gets really, really hot and they come roaring in, all of a sudden, bam, they disappear. Where'd they go? Wait a second, this isn't fair. Right. But then they can come back as a reoccurring villain. <laughs> it's up to you what you want to do with that. The IDET members that you run into don't have to be your allies immediately. It doesn't have to be a straightforward thing like a setup. It's like, oh, these are the Fringeworthy, so they're naturally the good guys. They're naturally going to be your friends. They can start out as your enemies. Let's say you're playing Cyberpunk, and you're playing a cop in Cyberpunk, or, or, or maybe a corporate enforcer. Guy says, yeah, we got these prisoners, and they got this – I mean, they're, they're odd. They're, they're, they're just not right. They're not dressed right. Uh, their language is, is off, and you know, we think they might be foreign spies or something, and we need you to investigate them. They got the wrong company logos on their equipment. Right, yeah, it's just not right. These companies don't exist anymore. They've been, you know, these these companies have been gone for 20 years or they never existed. 
And that's how the adventure could start out. You know, you start questioning these guys, and and, and you know they don't want to tell you anything, of course, because you know they don't want to give up by debt. You could take the adventure from that standpoint. It doesn't always have to be, hey, you know, I'm going to bring Fringeworthy into the game, and the guys who come in are naturally going to be your friends. We're just going to you're going to meet them at a bar, and and they're going to buddy buddy up with you. You know, you can always take it from different angles. You want to make sure that your players are the awesome characters. You, know, you don't want to bring the Fringeworthy in as the great gods, unless, of course, you know they, they do their great god thing, which is give you what you need in order to complete the quest, and then they get out of your way, uh, which is what most gods do in, in most campaigns, if you do a, a medieval fantasy campaign. But the point is, is that you definitely don't want the Fringeworthy to be overshadowing your characters or pushing you out of the limelight, your characters. So it's important that when you use the fringe worthy, you make sure that, that they act as either a foil or a support or, you know, some kind of an environmental hazard that has to be dealt with. But the, the focus of the campaign still has to be on your characters and what they do, not what the fringe worthy characters are doing other than as foils for your characters. Right. Because like you said, Bruce, you're, your characters are the heroes, so you. We're, we're taking this from a different direction. We're not taking this from the Frenchworthy direction. It's your campaign, and you want to bring Frenchworthy into it. So, you, you got to keep your characters the heroes and make the Frenchworthy the. I don't not not so much the pawns, right. but you know the extras so much. All right, so I'm going to bring these guys in. So, how do I endear them to the players? How how are you going to make it so that the players? Not only believe them, but you know want to interact with them because that's the ultimate goal. If you bring them in as enemies and you make them, you know, a bunch of buttheads, and the characters just naturally kill them or dismiss them or whatever, then you haven't achieved anything. You know, you have not brought Fringeworthy into the game, which you brought in with some anomaly that the characters took care of. You got to think about how, when you bring them in, how they're going to interact with the players so that the players listen to them and, and want to get involved with them because that's going to be their pathway to the portals. Yeah, you don't want to turn the Fringeworthy into the enemy slash monster of the week. The, when the Fringeworthy come in, these in the campaign, whatever indigenous campaign you're running, whatever campaign it's going to be, these people that come out of nowhere, strange way of speaking, they, they know the language, but they're still... They come across as just odd. These people are going to be kind of people that stick in your head forever. So to just bring them in as the enemy of the week and then just get rid of them and they're done, it loses the uniqueness that is fringeworthy. Analogy I would make would be Star Trek, where you had the Klingons, who really were just the monster of the week. You know, they were the alien who was the threat, and then they were defeated by the end of the adventure, and you went on to something else. But as time went on in the various series, the Klingons became more noble in representation. They gained a culture. Even through the DS9 arc, they became enemies for a while. They were, again, opposed to the Federation during the Cardassian War, and then they came back on the Federation side when the Cardassians and the Dominion started really getting nasty. So, you know, the Fringeworthy, even during their time, their loyalties might switch due to, let's say, the objectives of IDED. They may realize, okay, these guys, they're not exactly interacting with us on a decent level. We may end up having to oppose them for a while, and then loyalties switch yet again. So that's the nature of even these Fringeworthy NPCs, that 
they're still people. They're still characters. They're still they still have motivations in and of themselves, which will change due to the environment that they're in. I agree. And Fringeworthy bring very dangerous ideas with them. The idea of democracy, the idea that all sentients are created equal. There should be such a thing as a Bill of Rights, that uh, the rule of law should hold sway versus the rule of kings. They could really uh, shake the apple cart. Could be very good for some of your characters in your campaign, because if your characters wanted some backing, you know, let's say you're playing a female character in a fantasy world or really any kind of a, a game up till the 20th century, uh, women were always second-class citizens, and they were treated that way, and they were constantly fighting to be t- treated as equals, if not superiors, here you have a group that comes through and says, oh, yeah, he says, our president is a female. The heads of state are female. Astronauts are female. You know, we have laws that enforce equality between the, the genders. That may be the galvanized motivation that your character needs in order to go and start pushing ahead to get changes in your own campaign world, saying, look, I know it's real. I know it can be done. I know it's practical. You say that people aren't that way, or you say that nobody's going to listen. They listen. Somewhere out there, they're listening. They can listen here. A world that's got only one religion, you can bring in more religions. That could be very disruptive. I'm sure it's going to be disruptive, but if that's what you want to bring in your campaign, you can provide them as a rationale for why this idea has come and support for the characters to believe in it. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. A lot of times, Fringeworthy portals are in very remote locations. And a lot of campaigns involve going to very remote locations to do explorations. It's quite possible for you to arrive and find the fringe where they are already there. Either they're exploring or they've just gotten there. One of the fun things to do is to have to rescue the fringe worthy. They went someplace and they did something they weren't supposed to do. And now they've, they've released some terrible menace or they've started things in motion that they have no idea of, of what they're doing. Here you come riding in to save the day. These stupid IDET people, these, these ignorant outlanders, these meddling fools get to, to save the day and put everything right. They can act as a foil for your characters or act as the start of the adventure or at least the trigger of the climax. So you're saying that, like, for example, they attack a, a dragon. Or they go into a dragon's cave and wake him up. The dragon has been sleeping for years and years, and everybody's left it alone. But he wasn't bothering anybody. Nobody messed with him. They have no mages, so they can't read the magical writings that say, dragon sleeping, leave alone. <laughs> right. So the party goes in. Um, they stumble across this dragon, and, of course, they don't realize that he's just sleeping. And they start investigating, and they wake this guy up. Uh, that's the kind of situation you're talking about? Absolutely. That's a good example. So this dragon comes out and he starts, you know, wreaking havoc or whatever. And then your party, your your team of adventurers or whatever, uh, come across these fringeworthy guys. And they're like, what What are you doing? What, you woke the dragon up. Everybody knows. Leave the dragon alone. Who, who are you people? That kind of situation? 
or they could join forces and fight the dragon, where right. you know, the dragon might be able to uh, resist one type of attack. They might be able to provide another type of attack. You know, One of the guys from my dad starts hosing this thing down with armor-piercing rounds, and, and the dragon is actually feeling it. And the knight is looking at him like, well, that is a very strange bow you have there. Nerve gas or, or tear gas, even though it might, its, its scales might be so thick that bullets will bounce off of it, doesn't mean that it can breathe in tear gas without complaining. So, yeah, it, it'll let them get away, but the IDET team hasn't provided an ultimate solution. They've been able to get them out of there with their unusual weaponry, but now you got to work together to come up with a final solution. Maybe the character says, okay, now that you're, we're out of here, let the dragon settle back down bring in the girls from the village and they'll all get around and sing the song that puts the dragon to sleep and then don't do that anymore. That's when one of the IDET guys says, all right, yeah, sing him to sleep and then I'm going to put this shaped charge on his side <laughs> and there'll be no more dragon. The, the village elders will escort the Fringeworthy out of the area saying, you've helped enough. Really, we'll take it from here. It, it really, you guys, you guys need to leave. <laughs> hey, look, there's the door. Yeah. yeah. You think you can kill this dragon? This dragon has been around forever. Okay. Mountains have fallen this dragon. Volcanoes have erupted on this dragon. And you think your little shape channel is going to do it. Well, it just doesn't make sense that a, sh- that a creature could be immune to all things. You know, it's, it's, it's just your poor, weak weapons. Poor, <laughs> poor weak weapons. We have disintegrate for crying out loud. Do you have disintegrate? Well, no, we don't. Well, not exactly. You know, well, then shut up. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, technology <laughs> can be different. You know, I, I, I defy someone to show me a weapon uh, in, in 20th century Earth that's as, as tactical and effective as a good disintegrate spell. How, how do you think technology matches up to Meteor Strike? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, I was going to say the closest thing we have to a meteor strike would be a tactical nuclear device. That would be it. And we can't contain it small enough like they can like a meteor strike. That's the, that's the real beauty of, of a D&D magic power. It's, it's contained. It goes out so far and it goes away. And we don't have any effects that don't have secondary damage like that. A meteor strike is not going to leave a radiated zone that you can't live in for the next so many years without causing cancer and such. Of course, there's been many times in a D&D game where I wish I could do that. <laughs> you know, this is the Arch Lich's lair. Well, hey, Arch Lich, it's not so good to be here anymore. Even your undead bones will rot at this level of radiation. You can rescue the IDET teams. I think that's probably going to be a very fun thing for someone to do because everyone loves your, you know, loves their campaign to be the superior campaign, and and rescuing people from another game, you know, who come onto your campaign world is a wonderful way of enjoy of enjoying that aspect of it. That that's what we call the your comic phenomenon. If you have Spider-Man versus the Hulk, right? Who's gonna win? Well, it depends on whose comic we're talking about. Okay, I got you. Yeah, you're absolutely is, right. Is it the Incredible Hulk or is it the Amazing Spider-Man comic you're talking about? Right. Because whatever comic you're in, that's who's gonna win, and that's who should win, and that's who should win, right? Well, so if you're playing D and D characters and Fringeworthy, you want to introduce Fringeworthy to your world. The D and D characters, it's their comic. So you can't have the Fringeworthy coming in and, and showing them up. Well, yeah, you're going to have the Fringeworthy. They're going to have enough technology and enough knowledge to be different and make an impact. But if you're just going to have these NPCs come in and just, you know, then it's no fun for the players. It's the old equation that I used to hear. Players are the stars of the movie. The NPCs right. are the guest stars. They add right. something to the story. 
but they're not going to take over the story. And a GM that does that is looking to anger some players. Absolutely. That's, that is an absolutely correct statement because, you know, when, when you're playing the game and I know I do it I'm, I, and I guarantee you everybody does it. They see their character as the movie hero and they, they see the game as a movie or a book and their character is one of the heroes in it. Anybody out there who does this in their campaign and would like some ideas, please get in contact with us. We would love to work with you to come up with some great ideas for putting Fringeworthy in your campaign. We're totally open to it. We don't mind being the foils, the bad guys, the good guys, the misunderstood guys, the traveling uh, characters of the week. But we think that Fringeworthy is such a rich resource for you. We think that you would want to use it on an ongoing basis. If your world is a prime world from the Fringeworthy point of view, then there's eight portals all over your world. And so uh, they could be hearing all kinds of rumors uh, before they ever see any of these explorers. It's all kinds of things that you guys could do. Uh, we really want to encourage you to do this. And we hope that you can see some of the things that Fringeworthy is bringing to the table to enhance, not derail or detract from your campaign. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.